often I find that people relate the word confirmation to either Roman Catholic or Lutheran in a sacramental sort of way, the way you understand that. That is not at all what we understand it to be in the Reformed sense. In fact, John Calvin talks about the practice of confirmation in the first century church. Ursine, uh, um, uh, in his commentary, quotes that in the practice of confirmation in the catechumens who were either youth of the church or were new to the church being catechized and they confirmed in the faith. That, that is a, a covenantal language. Well, welcome to From the Classroom of Heidelberg Theological Seminary. I'm Dr. Mosley, Academic Dean and Registrar, Professor of Biblical Studies and Systematic Theology. And with me, as normal, is Dr. Maynard Kerner, President of Heidelberg Theological Seminary and Professor of, well, he's taught just about everything here. So today we're going to talk about some of the history and distinctives that make up the RCUS, the German Reformed Church, and I'd like to begin with a passage from Psalm 78, starting in verse 5, for he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them, declare them to their children. And one of the reasons you and I spoke about this beforehand to, to bring up those particular verses there is because if, if we had to mark a moment besides 1517, besides, you know, Martin Luther knowing the 95 pieces to the church doors there in Wittenberg, uh, besides a few of those other events that really give us a history of the Reformation, but become key markers for Lutheran Reformation. We, we, we could say that there is a moment where there became a sharp distinction between those, the two different Protestant traditions in Germany that were properly Reformed Protestant traditions, and that is the Reformed tradition and the Lutheran tradition. There is kind of a moment where that divide happens that, that has nothing to do with Zwingli and Bullinger, uh, where you have the, the split over the, of, over the Lord's Supper. And... I, I've told my kids and when I've taught confirmation that that moment is in the 1560s. And I assume that you're thinking about 1563 with the publication of the Heidelberg Catechism. I am. Which is, a, which is an interesting moment, as you say, I agree fully, a special moment. But it's interesting historically in that uh, Prince Frederick III who was one of the princes. Germany was run by princes in local areas, um, very much like states or provinces. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he was uh, the uh, ruler of an area called the Palatinate. Great name. And he was concerned, he was reformed. Most of the princes were either Roman Catholic or Lutheran in Germany. And that's where the fight primarily was taking place. And often, I think, even in a general sense, there is the, the, the notion that the Reformation with respect to German is, is Lutheran. There, that, that's not accurate. There is a very specific Reformed Reformation that takes place. Right. Onto that end, Prince Frederick III had uh, two uh, men, uh, 
minister of the Holy Ghost Church in Heidelberg and a professor at Heidelberg University write the catechism with the specific purpose of understanding what is Reformed theology. And then secondly, and probably most importantly, that the youth would know what that theology was, what their heritage. You read from uh, Psalm 78. I think what's so beautiful about Psalm 78 is that covenant concept that you pass on what God has done from generation to generation because God is a covenant God with his people and his seed. And so in, in, in seeing the need, Frederick saw the need. And, I, I, you know, we can honestly take, a, 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 you know, with each question, we can have a, a, a whole show on each question. Absolutely. And I think there are some questions where you really see that clear distinction between, okay, they're really defining, like question is the Pope's maps. That's, that's, you know, that's not just, you know, having a pebble pass over, that's a drop. I mean, that's just saying, boom, this is who we are. This is what we are. And that makes that moment, the, the, the painting of that document, just like in 1561 when, when Gere pins the Belgian. That's a clear moment of defining this as we are. And what I think is significant is what Frederick is doing. He's, he's, he's saying very specifically for my area, for my region, for my state, for, for the Palatinate. Gentlemen, you're a professor, you're a pastor. Define what it means to be reformed here. And, and I think that's significant because, well, there was the Hungarian reform that had their own confessions and catechisms. And Calvin had his. And Calvin had his in Swiss Geneva. Zwingli and Bullinger had theirs in the German side of, 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 of Switzerland in, in Zurich. Uh, Martin Bootser had his own stuff. All of these reformers were writing their own catechisms, were putting together their own confessions. And so it was. it's, it's not unique for Debris and for your sinus and all of the honest to do these things. Um, but in some respects, it is kind of unique for the prince to say, guys, define it for me. Get this. And, uh, you know, um, I, I think that had a lot to do with the fact uh, you talk about these other catechisms and the unique aspect of the Heidelberg one was because it was, it was written for the sake of distinguishing very clearly in Germany because you had the Roman Catholic German princes, you have the Lutheran German princes, and Frederick said, no, I'm not either one of them, I'm reformed, and what does that mean? But also, you will find that the Heidelberg Catechism is written in a very personal statement of faith. In other words, it was written for young people uh, to be able to understand when I say I'm a Christian, this is what it means when I confess faith, not just to distinguish between Roman Catholic and in Lutheran, which it does, view of the sacraments, etc. But it's first of all a very personal statement of faith. What yeah. I found so interesting, um, excuse me, one more thought there. I have just recently preached a series of sermons on Heidelberg Catechism, just question and answer number one. Um, one that I've been familiar with and have known by heart since I was knee high to a grasshopper. Uh, but at any rate, what impressed me as I worked my way through this from the perspective of writing sermons is that not only were are these very, very personal, great statements of faith, but the depth of theology in them is just unbelievable. 
And so the writers were able to capture unique children's statement of faith, if you will, adult statement of faith, and get depth of theology. This is what reform is. I'm glad you brought children and adults because that was what I was that's what I was going to say. Is when we say for young people, I think we also need to make the make the point that Frederick not only wanted it for the youth, but also for people who were coming out of Roman Catholicism or were coming out of a Lutheran background, and it needed to be for them as well. And so it needed to be accessible, not only for the youth, but also for what we call today new members, people coming in new, not knowing a single thing about the Reformed faith, and they're brand new. And the hybrid catechism, for that matter, has stood the test of time. That ends up being from the continental tradition which we can define in just a second. And the culture, that ends up being the catechism that has stood the test of time. We still have Calvin's catechisms, but his catechisms uniquely have like a paragraph question with a single answer of yes, you know. <laughs> you know well, I can memorize that answer. <laughs> I like that answer. But, I, you know, let's, let's, let's step back again. It, we've we've said that there is the Roman Church in in Germany. There's the Lutheran uh, Church in Germany. There was another group as well. And we, when we talk about young people, we also talk about adults. We also need to recognize that some of those coming out of out of that movement, and it's the Anabaptists. That there there this was all happening in Germany at the same time. Mm-hmm. And you know, just like we have in our churches, we get people that are coming from. Baptist background, Mennonite backgrounds, they come in. The hybrid catechism is that tool to help them go, this is the summary of doctrine that we find in scriptures. This is biblical. Um, and so particularly when we think about the Mennonites and the Anabaptists, um, just like with, with Rome, there's, there, there's those questions of the Lord's Supper. And there's more, question answer 60. You know, I mean, there's there's a lot more yes. uh, questions on merit uh, and not, you know, not good works. And, um, but those questions are going to, that's what's beauty about the hyperpendic. It it summarizes orthodoxy so well that these questions not only explain to a, you know, a, a 10, 11, 12-year-old, explain to a new believer, but then are, are hitting hard Rome, Lutheran, and Anabaptist and saying, no, 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 no. It's this. It's at the same time a very solid and very useful systematic theology. Yes. Yes. And it's very personal. It, I think there's prob- there's probably not another question and answer like the first one. That like you just spent 17 sermons, I think, right? Yes. Succinctly preaching through that. And um, catechetical preaching, strangely enough, was a German idea when it came to the hypercatechism. That not only was this something that needed to be taught to our kids, but it needed to be something that was preached. And you, when we took, uh, when I took that reform worship course in the, in the doctrine class, you read, I believe it was the church order from the Palatinate. Mm-hmm. And if I recall correctly, there was the morning worship. And then there was following that, there was supposed to be some kind of service with the catechism. Was there it? was instruction of the youth. Yeah, but everybody was there and was was hearing the instruction. And it was centered on the catechism. And it was centered on the catechism, uh, very much. Um, 
I'd like to um, follow up a little bit on, it's interesting, and I'm not expert on this history, but um, from a human perspective, the influence of Prince uh, Frederick III was fairly short. Yes. He, he didn't live real long, and his successor was Luther. Um, and so even though the Palatinate was the seat of Reformed theology in Germany, and yet it did not give the opportunity for time, but yet in the providence of God, first of all, in Germany, where you had all of those religious wars that devastated German uh, people, especially, I mean, you had a lot of, the German Reformed were often very much um, very poor, unlearned people. And so you have a great history of where they were scattered in different ways and took the influence. The Heidelberg Catechism was what they took with and maintained that, that whole thing. It's funny, my wife was telling me, and I have yet to, to, to go and, and check this to correct this. So this, she's read the books, Little House on the Prairie. Mm-hmm. And they're coming out to South Dakota. And some of the books that they had, one of the books that they had was the Hyper Catechism. Is it really? Because I'm a great fan of those books. I read those when I was young yeah. over and over and over again. I never picked up on them. Now, I, I just said it on the air. I'm going to check it later. But when she said that to me, I never, I've not forgot that. That it's, it's got the fact that they had a hymn book and the Bible and then the Hyper Catechism. And a lot of times they waited for preachers to come out and, and give them messages like that. But that, that brings up, um, you know, because there's children there. Let's take a little bit of this history lesson as to the, the motivation of Frederick and the given the charge to, I love the name Zacharias or something, so he's, you know, Zach the Bear. Um, and, and Casper Olivianus, the friendly, the friendly reformer. Right. Um, the motivation was to train you. Yes. And let's bring it home to it. You know, we've got a couple minutes left, you know, a few minutes left here for uh, the time that we want to have for recording these, these small little from the classrooms. Um, so let's bring it home today. In the practice in the continuing German Reformed Church that's here in the United States, the RCUS, the practice is confirmation, which, let's face it, Greatly rewarding, but not very easy. Because one of the requirements we have, which is unique from any other, it seems to me, any of the other continental traditions, and if there's one that has this requirement too, we'd love to hear about it. And that is that our youth are able to recite the Heidelberg Catechism. Word for word. Now, that's not the only thing they have to memorize and work on. I think our Constitution makes the point. There's scripture memory verses, there's hymns, there's history, uh, there's aspects of the Belgic, aspects of the canons. There's a whole host of things that they have to have to memorize as well in a matter of four years or so. I think basically. Now, let me, let me expand a little bit on you use the word requirement. Uh, it's a requirement in the sense that you would speak of a curriculum. Yes. Yes. For example, the state of South Dakota would have certain requirements that the curriculum of grade schools cover certain topics. person has to know two plus two equals four. It's not in a requirement that says you have to be able to, in one sitting, recite by memory 
yeah. all 129 questions and answers before you can join the church. Yes. Uh, that, that's not the case. That's a good goal to have, just like requirement for a curriculum is, is a good goal. And, my, and might I add, before my ordination, I was told don't even get on the plane. If I didn't have it on the list, didn't know that. Yeah. So um, that, that's different. See, so the minister. It's a, uh, and so how we've applied that over the years, of course, has changed. And you mentioned, you don't think, uh, I think some of the other, um, well, a couple of things that I should say about confirmation, um, just thinking in terms of, again, Luther, where historically there's been more in a sense of more learning, but that's all been lost over the, over the last number of decades. They don't do that at all anymore. I don't know. Maybe some of those, like the Wisconsin Senate, right? They, yeah. they, they were more, more. My, my son, who went to Wisconsin Senate uh, Christian School in, in Watertown, he had to he had to learn Luther's Catechism. You see, I think that one's see that's closer yeah. there to that conservative yeah. aspect. Yeah. So at any rate, um, the other thing is that when the word confirmation, to comment on that, yes, for yes. Uh, I would like to add another installment here talk much more detail about the idea of youth and covenant and how that relates to the training of youth and, and so on. But just often I find that people relate the word confirmation to either Roman Catholic or Lutheran in a sacramental sort of way, the way you understand that that is not at all what we understand it to be in the Reformed sense. In fact, John Calvin talks about the practice of confirmation in the first century church. Ursinus uh, um, uh, in his commentary quotes that in the practice of confirmation in the catechumens who were either youth of the church or were new to the church being catechized and they confirmed in the faith. That, that is a, a covenantal language. And I, I, I think at another uh, installment, it, it might be good to talk about that more in, in detail. But I just wanted to explain that when we say RCOS, German Reform, still practices confirmation. But two things. It, it's not that it is a requirement for going to church to memorize the whole catechism. And it's also not that this is somehow, well, if you do this, then you're saved. Uh, that idea has been there. There's always wrong understandings of things. Uh, but it is a recognition of how are the youth of the church prepared and brought, bring up in what it means to be covenant and to learn about their relationship with God. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was described in me, and this gets back to that covenant language, that the promises that were given to the babe at the baptismal font are then later what's recognized and confirmed on that day. So at, so at baptism, the church recognizes that uh, the parents of the youth being infants being baptized, that God, that they have promises that they can claim from God. That's right. Because God has given them. At confirmation, there is a sense that the church is recognizing that these promises are real now. Are made made evident for that child. Are evident. Yeah, made evident. Made evident in, in that child. Does it mean that we have an automatic sense this person is now saved and going to hell? Or going to heaven, sorry. <laughs> yeah. That was a real slip. Yeah. Uh, or anything of that nature. But there's evidence right. that, that, that this covenant 
promise deal is working. That's right. Well, and, and what, what we're recognizing, and I think, I think it's important that we use the word recognize, is because it's, it's, the same, it's the same nature when God says, these books are my word. The church recognized that. We received that. And so when we hear the word coming out of a covenant youth saying, I believe in Jesus. He is my only comfort in life and death. All the church can do is recognize that and receive that young man. Absolutely. And, and, and that's what we're doing. At it's a glorious event. And sometimes it's a humorous event. You know, so and, and it's an event that kids often are scared to death. About. And they ought not be. But and later on get, in life, they will say, hey, you know, it, it was pretty good. Yeah. And I think, I think uh, particularly here, Witness just just one confirmation exam. Just my son was confirmed um, a couple months ago. Uh, it was wonderful. It was wonderful to watch. Yeah. And um, you know the churches that I pastored before, um, one of them, the whole congregation was involved with the exam, and there could have been questions from members of the congregation. Another one, it was just really the spiritual council involved, and it was open for other people to show up, but they didn't. And so the spiritual council also asked questions of, of those being confirmed. And it, it, what it does is we bring up the idea of covenant. This is what I think Frederick was getting at when he said, we need to have something. As it gets to, we're going to use a beautiful word, the, the community of the saints, the Catholicity of the church, that young man, young, young woman, you're part of something big. Something old, something historic. You're joining now in the faith that's been handed down from the Apostle Paul to your father, now to you. And in fact, that's what I love so much about Psalm 78. Mm -hmm. That not only does it say that fathers you need to pass on to your children, but it puts it in the context, first of all, in the context. These are the things that God has done. Okay, this is God's work. This is what we are a part of. We pass that on, make sure our children know. But it says it not just to you and to your children, um, but you and I will both have grandchildren or great grandchildren that we'll never see because we'll be gone before they come. Psalmist says, You want to make sure that they know about the faith? Teach your children now. Mm -hmm. Now, what a Fantastic concept that is. It's not a guarantee. There will be some of our descendants that probably will be night of faith. Uh, God, I hope not. But that's we trust God. that won't happen, but that's, that's in God's providence. But our task is to make sure that they know what that was and it's passed and that our children are ready to pass that on and their children are ready to pass that on. But that's the covenant. Yes. And I think that's exactly what Frederick III was absolutely was dealing with. You have two biblical paradigms. You have, on the one hand, God telling Moses, pass this on to the kids. Those who do this, God's going to bless to the thousandth generation. And then I can't ever get Hezekiah's final words when he's allowed the Babylonian envoys to come through and see all of the gold. And Isaiah shows up and he says, what'd you just show them? I showed them everything. 
they're going to be the ones that take away as fast as when's this going to happen? Several generations take as long as it doesn't happen that time. God made the promise. I'm going to take care of your generations down the road. That's a great retirement. That's a great legacy to have. And I think you're absolutely right. Frederick was able to say, let's put a document together and look at it now. It's still being used in 2021 to help train our kids. So what I find very often, even Simone's reform, who would adhere to covenant theology, speak of that, uh, would talk about their children in terms of virtually in a sense of, of needing to be evangelized. Uh, you know, our children are in the church. They need to know what that means. Mm-hmm. Now, do they need to be regenerated? Do they need to express their faith? Of course they do. Uh, but God brings that about for covenant children from by, by generation to generation. We don't need to start a new every generation, a new generation of Christians. That's right. We are continuing the generation of Christians. Right. And uh, there's a lot of great history along with that line that I would like to visit about more as we go back again and think about what happened to the church in Palatinate and, and go back uh, from, from there. So. Well, that gets us to this time, and we want to thank you for listening to From the Classroom of Idaho Theological Seminary, and we ask that you continue to listen and, and even support the seminary. You can go to org and hit the support tab. Thank you for listening. Thank you.